the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Pastor Chip Ingram is with us today. Of course, you know him as Speaker of Living on the Edge and Senior Pastor at Venture Christian Church down in Los Gatos, where he's served as Senior Pastor there since 2007. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're talking about your background in sports and coaching. And I think as any co- coach would say, at the Olympic level or even a kid just playing, uh, you know, on the gridiron or playing basketball at, at high school, uh, you need to be committed, and you need to be all in. If you're going to win, you have to be all in. Is that also true in your experience in terms of our relationship with God? Does God want us all in in our relationship with him? You know, Craig, if I would say the one singular thing, and I have thousands and thousands of experiences and emails and letters uh, to um, kind of back up. This isn't just anecdotal or preach-speak. Um when I've taught Romans 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the word offer there is a, is a point in time. And it's the same picture of like in the Old Testament when someone would bring a, a bull or a, or a goat. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, it is a picture of surrender. And it's it's... It's a surrender that says, all that I am and all that I have is yours. It's, I forgive the gambling analogy, but it's the best picture, if, if you've ever watched Texas Hold'em, is someone takes the chips and pushes them all to the center and says, I'm all in. And, and that's when the action really starts, because you know they're going to start dealing some cards, and it's either going to be really bad or really wonderful. And God is waiting. I, I think what I can tell you is, I've met people who've been Christian five years, 25 years, 30 years, people that are stuck. They hear Romans 12:1 and realize, on a certain day, at a certain time, I push all the chips, my future, my money, my hobbies, my work, my kids, my wife, my singleness, everything. It's all yours. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever. I am completely surrendered. Now, it's scary. It's crazy scary, and it ought to be. But... The, the reason you can do it is God is good. He's a sun. He's a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. I think the great, great majority of Christians never experience the good will of God, the, bl- the full blessing of God, because, you know, if there's sort of, uh, it's like kind of hardening of the spiritual arteries. The blood, the grace can't flow through. And what I can tell you is when people make that real commitment, uh, I I came to Christ in 1972, but it was um, 1974, two years later, at Penn State University, understanding the Lordship of Christ, Mm. that I went all in. And I will tell you the power I experienced, what happened in my life. And I have just, again, thousands of emails of people who said, you know, I haven't... I've been a Christian, I go to church, but I go to alcohol addiction, I got a sex addiction, 
you know, I've struggled with my anger, I've got this issue, this issue, then I went all in. And by the way, warning, most always it's harder and sometimes worse before it gets better. Because God begins to work and test, and the enemy doesn't want to let you go. But those people who surrender, wow, they're the Christians who live like Christians. They're the Christians that have this joy that the Bible talks about. And, um, I mean, in Jesus' words, you know, he says, you cannot be, I mean, think of this, you cannot be my disciple, Luke chapter 9, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And what he was saying, you know, an instrument of death to your agenda, your way, your control. And then he tells them why. For what will it profit a man if you gain the whole world and yet profit it, and, but lose your soul? And um, so anyway, I think it's just critical that surrender, it, though I put it this way, surrender is the channel. This is a positive way. Surrender is the channel through which God's biggest and best blessings flow. And if I have time, just one quick word picture. I have this picture of this, like, ocean or this huge lake, this beautiful lake in heaven, and there's this PVC pipe. I mean, it's grace. It's blessing. It's encouragement. It's this great self-identity. It's all the good that God wants to do, lavish. And this PVC pipe, it comes all the way down from heaven. It's invisible, but it's connected right in the back of my head. And God wants to pour this grace out and his blessing out and reveal himself and do amazing things in me and through me. But I have this little switch where I can turn it on or off. And, and I think, you know, you're connected, you're a believer, but I think a lot of believers open that valve just a tiny, tiny bit. And usually when they really, really... The reason people experience God so much, like when their kid's in ICU, guess what? They're surrendered. Oh, mm. God, right? But you know what? You can open that, Romans 12, one moment, and say, God, pour in that grace, I'll do whatever. And if God is really good, it's the smartest, wisest, best decision that anyone ever makes. And uh, we just confuse good with easy. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's easy, but um, I just have to, I think I've got to preach in here, forgive me. <laughs> no, that's good. Do, do, do you think that on that point of surrender, that we don't surrender because we don't trust, and we don't trust because we don't know him? Absolutely. Uh, you hit it. I, I you know what? I'm not going to repeat that. I can't say it better. That's exactly right. We're going to let listeners percolate on that thought. Hey, let's uh, let's switch gears for a moment. Um, every pastor knows this. You know this. We all know this. Um, we are working here in one of the most challenging mission fields anywhere on planet Earth. And ironically, a, a cross-section of what the mission field looks like. Name a culture, a people group, a language and you'll find it here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, uh, people that feel a call to be a missionary can certainly get their experience under belt here in the San Francisco Bay Area because as they prepare for the mission field, they find that they are right here at home in the mission field. So helping pastors recharge their batteries, um, being able to preach from a, a full heart, uh, I think is critically important, isn't it? Because there are challenges that are faced here by preachers in the pulpit here that perhaps are not seen anywhere else, certainly in the United States. Uh, you're, you're actually really, really right. We had about 60% of our pastors came from the Bay Area, about 40% from all over the country. And, you know, we've all been to a lot of conferences, and so we, we, we did this one a little bit different, where rather than just coming and hearing people talk, 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 we really have built in some time. We've got some... Um, great breakout times, but like I, I get with a group of people and say, okay, how do you use preaching to make disciples? And it's a small enough group, we're like 30, 40 guys, we just really, t 
what are your biggest challenges? And then I, I ask all the guys when they come, I don't want you to come speak and then go back in some room somewhere. Okay, we're here. These people should, you know, they, you know, as one guy wrote, he goes, it was so refreshing to hear people that, you know, you guys have a pretty significant platform that have all the same normal, normal struggles in me. You know, how do you maintain balance at home? When and how do you prepare? You know, I mean, I can get great information about preaching on the Internet. What I can't get is relationships and connections. And, um, and we have people of all kind of ethnic backgrounds. I mean, it's just, um, in fact, you would be surprised. I think some of our services are probably at least half multicultural, whether Indian, Asian, Indonesian, um, Korean. Uh, we actually have to, are you ready for this adventure? We have to translate our 11 o'clock service in Mandarin and Korean simultaneously. Isn't that great? <laughs> it is. It's, it's God. It's the hand of God. Hey, Pastor, it's been a delight visiting with you. As always, we appreciate both your time, your your passion for uh, the Word, your love for God that just oozes out of you. And hey, if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area, you're looking for a church home, we certainly invite you to uh, check out the ministry. It, it is broad and deep and wide, as you will experience. You can begin that introduction by uh, checking out the website, VentureChristian.cc. Listen to a lot of Pastor Chip's sermons and teachings, of course, part of the radio ministry as well. At Living on the Edge, and some great resources there, especially if you want to dive deeper as we began the conversation today into what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. Check it out again on the web at venture.cc. Well, Pastor Chip Ingram, as always, a real privilege to get a chance to uh, spend some time in fellowship with you. and look forward to doing it again soon. Well, thank you, Craig. Thanks for being a uh, steady, stable light at KFAB. Um, right here in the Bay Area. We love you guys. appreciate you. Thanks for the honor of being on. Thanks for the time. There's Pastor Chip Ingram. Again, details on Venture Church. You can get details at venture.cc. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When you think about it, I think most of us that are married can agree that we tend to focus on the sense of happiness and satisfaction out of our marriage relationships and not necessarily looking at marriage from the viewpoint of the purpose of marriage based on the outcome of a God-centered kingdom marriage. Everyone no doubt agrees that a good marriage is more pleasant and beneficial than an unhappy one, but equally important, a good marriage is supposed to be a model of the heavenly union that God created. Joining us today on the program is the founder and president of the Urban Alternative. He's senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas and speaker on the nationally syndicated program, The Alternative. Great to have with us today on the program, Dr. Tony Evans. And as always, Pastor, a privilege to have you on the show. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about this new book that you've written, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. It, it strikes me as unique in that, unlike many of the books out there on the topic of marriage, you take us all the way back. In fact, you extrapolate examples of how each spouse, man and woman, um, should behave and treat each other based on that first union that we see, that union model between Adam and Eve. Tell us more about that. 
often and unfortunately, uh, marriages are not tied to God's purpose. They're just tied to uh, the pleasure that people want to get out of it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when God created the first marriage, the first couple, brought the first two singles together, it was to fulfill a divine purpose, in fact, three purposes. Uh, He said, we're going to make man male and female. And first purpose would be that they would be a reflection of who we are. Um, made in our image. An image is a mirror. So we want to mirror in the physical realm what we are like in the invisible spiritual realm. Well, God is one God composed of three co-equal persons who are one in essence and yet distinct in personhood. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but they make up one family or one Godhead. So what God wanted to do was mirror that in the creation of mankind. In fact, when God relates to history, one member proceeds from the other. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. So that's why uh, Adam came from Eve and a baby comes from, uh, 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 excuse me, Eve came from Adam and a baby comes from Eve because th- that's how history proceeds, like God proceeds into history. So God is, God is looking for a mirror. So when you detach God from what marriage is, why marriage is, and how marriage works, the mirror becomes distorted. The second reason was for not only reflection, but for replication. Be fruitful and multiply. But multiply what? Not just multiply people, multiply images. God wants mirrors to produce new mirrors. And so the idea of childbearing is to create mirrors that are a reflection of the parents who are a reflection of God. Then the third reason is for ruling and let them rule. So men and women in the marriage and the development of families were to exercise dominion over what God created. So the reason why Satan wants to destroy marriage is not just because he wants two unhappy people. He wants to destroy God's purpose of dominion or ruling so that we wind up being ruled by him than ruling over the creation God has placed under our authority. You know, Pastor Evans, one of the complaints that we often hear from women who are frustrated in their marriage relationship, they'll say things like, well, you know, I got into this marriage and I understand from a biblical perspective that my husband is supposed to be the head of the family, but my husband shows no sense of responsibility whatsoever. He doesn't do a good job at work. Uh, he, he, He seems to not necessarily take charge when it comes to work with me and raising our children, things of this sort. And I'm struck by the fact that inside of the new book, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure, very early on, you extrapolate a very important lesson for men. And that is the notion that even before God gave Adam Eve, he gave Adam responsibility. Expand upon that, would you please? Absolutely, because if a man is not willing to be responsible under God, then he can't be properly responsible for the one God places under him. Mm. And so it would be the responsibility of the man and the accountability of the man to own responsibility under God. And therefore, God gave him a job, God gave him a home, the Garden of Eden, God gave him his commandments, and he gave him responsibility to name all the animals. He was to be a successful single before he could be a responsible husband. And uh, unfortunately today, far too many women are marrying men who have not owned that responsibility under God. In fact, the biblical definition of a man is responsibility under God. Exodus chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, God calls all the men of Israel to meet with him and to to give them instruction on how they were to to function as men and then he says then i'll send you back to your family because the family would be in jeopardy if the men failed and so god always starts with the man that's why in the garden god said adam where are you not adam and eve where are y'all 
<laughs> I guess this can also be an important lesson for women to understand that, you know, there's often this sense we hear it said all the time that a woman will marry a man. She recognizes he has some shortcomings and faults, but thinks that once I marry him, I'll get him fixed. And in fact, as you're suggesting here, women should be watching very carefully as to the kind of man that they think might make a good husband, because their sense of responsibility, particularly in their relationship to God in single life, is oftentimes a harbinger or an indicator of what they're going to be marrying into, isn't it? Well, yes, certainly, and two things need to happen. First of all, you need to answer the question, if this man never changes, am I willing to live with him as he is for the rest of his life? Because what you don't want to do is you you don't want to project a change that may never happen. Secondly of all, he should have to pass the test of another man who is the kind of man that you respect and honor so that there's other eyes. It should be the father of the of the woman, but if it's not, some mature Christian man, so he's got to pass the test of another man and, and not just the emotional test of the woman who's in love with the man. A sense of uh, servanthood here is important. We certainly see that modeled throughout Scripture in relationship to uh, our relationship to God and God's relationship to us. We also see it demonstrated when it comes to the design for a marriage relationship. And oftentimes men are very easy to sort of default back to the, well, God set me up as the head of the family here, and so my wife must be subservient to me. But yet in the pages of Kingdom Marriage, you suggest that this sense of headship applies to both husband and wife. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, we, we, we have to understand that the First uh, Corinthians 11.3, God is over Christ. It says Christ is over every man, a man is over a woman. Everybody comes under the authority of somebody else. So just as the husband claims headship over the wife, Christ claims headship over the husband. And Christ's headship over the husband trumps the husband's headship over the wife, because you are obligated to the one at the top of this pyramid. And of course, Christ and God are perfect, but a man has a head. So if you're expecting your wife to submit to you, then she should see what it looks like when you submit to Christ. And if you're not submitting to Christ, then you shouldn't be shocked that you're having trouble getting her to submit to you, because all she's reflecting is your lack of submission. So it is critical that men come under authority if they expect to be in authority. It's always struck me as interesting as uh, men are often uh, uh, quick to remind women that they should uh, they should uh, uh, be obedient to their husbands, and yet the the continuation of that passage says, "In husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church." And of course, if we look at that model, we realize well. Christ so loved the church that while we were yet in our sins and uh, not walking in fellowship with him, that he, in fact, gave his life for the church. That certainly resets that whole, that whole notion of the relationship then between men and women, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it means that you must become your wife's savior, and the last time I saw a savior, he was on a cross. Mm-hmm. So if you're not willing to sacrifice at all, then you're not really to, willing, ready and willing to love like Christ loved. If you're just joining our conversation, a visit today with Dr. Tony Evans. Of course, you recognize the voice. He is speaker on The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, nationally syndicated on some 1,000 radio stations across the country. He is also senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas and the author of a new book called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure, newly published by Focus on the Family Books. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as our visit with Dr. Tony Evans continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline on this edition. We are privileged to have join us on the program Dr. Tony Evans. Of course, Dr. Evans is senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, speaker on the nationally syndicated The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, and the author of a new book, Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. One of the things that you talk about in the book, Dr. Evans, as we mentioned before the break, is the sense of of learning to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I guess that's a really key component, because if we expect to be able to live out the marriage union in the fashion in which God called it to be, way back there in the Garden of Eden, we really need to understand what submission to God or Jesus' Lordship really means, don't we? Absolutely. It means what he says goes. Uh, why you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, the Lord says. So that means I'm sub- I am committed to obeying him, and my decisions will reflect his decisions. So that means I want to know what he thinks about the things related to my life, my world, my family, my finances, and I bring his thinking to the table to bear when I deal with my responsibilities as a husband and a father. When I ignore that or don't care to learn about that, then what I'm saying is I'm not obligated to find out what my head thinks, even though I'm demanding that my wife and children find out what <laughs> what uh, what I think. And so it becomes a conflict, and it, and what it does is creates division. And once you have division, you've invited God out of the relationship. See, God can only function in unity. He cannot, he cannot be at home where there's disunity. So Satan creates disunity because we are out of alignment in order to keep God at bay, leading to ongoing conflicts in the, in the home. Let's talk about some of these um, examples of division or disunity within the marriage relationship. Uh, one thought that came to mind as I was reading your book in preparation for our conversation today, and again, for folks just tuning in, we're visiting with Dr. Tony Evans. He's got a new book out called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. And Dr. Evans, a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, stumbled, and busted his shin up against an exercise bike in the bedroom. And this has turned into a major ordeal that what seemed to be at first just a little scrape eventually got infected. Now it's becoming a wound that won't heal. And there's been multiple visits to the doctor's office and prescription of antibiotics and so forth. And it's, it's still an ordeal that he's dealing with. And I'm struck in that example by... One of the sections of the book where you talk about the comparison between physical wounds and emotional wounds and how even in that case, something that starts out to be basic or simple can grow into a festering open wound that can have really severe um, implications for challenges or problems in a marriage relationship. Tell us more about that. Well, absolutely. Um, As you said, in the physical realm, wounds that may be simple once becomes infected can become very complicated and very damaging to our physical body. So the scars that we carry by things we say, attitudes we have, uh, actions we take, can uh, start off maybe in our minds small, but when it gets infected, uh, it, it produces devastations in the relationship. That's why when there is a wound, it needs to be bandaged, and uh, you you got to put some ointment on it pretty quickly so that infection doesn't get in it. That's why the Lord doesn't want us to go to bed angry before He wants us to deal with it before the sun goes down, because time will bring about infection when wounds are unaddressed. And so what we want to do is to make sure that we are caring for our 
our mates, caring for our marriages, and doing it on a regular basis so that it's not allowed to uh, uh, deteriorate. Many couples go days, months, and then years without having addressed some things in their relationships that could have been solved easier earlier if they took it more seriously. So uh, it, take, it, it means prioritizing the well-being of the relationship as quickly as possible. And a lot of this also tends to snowball, as you're suggesting, and then that sense of of being wounded turns into anger, bitterness, resentment, ultimately unforgiveness, and that can become a major roadblock in the success of any marriage relationship. But what do you say to the person listening right now who says, well, Dr. Evans, here's what you don't understand. I, I, I have a spouse that has hurt me and wounded me, and he or she has never taken the time to apologize and I'm just so hurt and upset about all of this. How can I possibly forgive an unrepentant spouse? Well, there are, there are two kinds of forgiveness. First of all, there is, um, there is individual forgiveness where I release a person from a, a wrong done to me, even though they've not asked uh, for forgiveness. At one time, I was, uh, a guy ran into my car and uh and and then ran off and then uh, drove off so here i'm I'm going around with a dent that i didn't create and every time i look at that dent uh i'm reminded i'm I'm upset about what that man did who did not apologize and did not seek to right the wrong but what that dent was doing it was controlling me and controlling my emotions and controlling my feelings so i had to release that person even though they, they, they hadn't apologized so that I wouldn't have to live with the debt. And that was a decision of my will. But what, what that didn't mean was that I was reconciled with that person because sometimes people put those two together and those are two, two they're related, but they're two distinct acts. On the other hand, there's transactional forgiveness where a person, uh, I forgive a person and they have repented, which opens the door for reconciliation. So what this person is saying is there's, there's individual, uh, I'm having trouble forgiving them because there's no transaction. They haven't asked for forgiveness. But what I would recommend a person to do is to sit down with their spouse and say, what? You hurt me by doing A, B, and C whenever it was done. I'm still carrying the pain of that wound. I just want to let you know that I'm going to release you from that so that I don't walk around with a dent in my soul. But I also want to let you know we can never fully be reconciled and have a meaningful, dynamic, growing relationship until you're willing to address the sin and infraction against me. That way you've defined forgiveness properly, but you've also clarified what it takes for reconciliation to occur. And there really needs to be then some sense of surrendering from both sides, doesn't there, in, in the sense that the wounded or the, the bruised spouse needs to surrender some of that anger and resentment that is a result of, of the infraction and the individual who created the wound in the first place can, has to kind of surrender some of that ego that perhaps stands in the way from the ability to say, you know what, I recognize I hurt you, and I'm sorry. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the person who committed the sin needs to repent. And repentance, repentance is not just a word, it's a turning. So they should see actions, fruit, that demonstrates you really mean it, you really meant what you said by things you do that are different, that they can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. 
We're obviously, Dr. Evans, in this short period of time, not going to be able to do much more than just kind of hit some of the highlights of uh, all of the wealth of insights that you offer inside the pages of Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. But before we leave you, I'd like to have you perhaps spend a moment and talk about a concept that you discuss at length in the book, and that is this notion of filling your spouse's love account. What exactly is that, and what are the benefits? Well, I, I, you know, when I get to couples, I, I tell the man to do four things, and I tell the woman to do one thing. I tell the man, number one, every day express something of value, something small of value that lets your wife know she matters, like a, 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 an unexpected phone call, a non-sexual hug, a note left in a inconspicuous place, a um, cupping her hand, something small but done regularly because men are tortured for being inconsistent that lets her know you are on my mind. Secondly of all, to pray with her daily. Uh, and I, uh, when I say daily, I mean regularly because I know you won't hit it every day. But but let her know that God is a part of this relationship and you're going to bring your relationship, your marriage, your family before God on a regular basis. Thirdly, give her one hour a week where she can vent, up to one hour. She can't take more than that, but one hour so that nothing is allowed to be built up. That means you don't get to be nagged, but she doesn't have to hold it in for weeks and months because she has this freedom where you're undistracted, no football games, baseball games, talking about golf, anything else. You, she, she can zero in on your eyes and she can share it. If, you, if she's doing this every week, well, she won't need the whole hour after a while because then it won't have accumulated. And then, uh, fourthly, uh, make sure you are dating her. And by dating her, I don't mean asking her, what do you want to do today? I mean, you you doing things that are fun for both of you. You can't discuss any problems on a date. That's strictly for fun, and you do it on a regular basis given you know, the realities of your life. Then I ask the woman to do one thing, make a big deal about his four things if he does them. Just celebrate the fact that he's showing you attention, praying with you, listening to you, dating you, because that will inspire him to keep doing it because he sees there's a great payoff. So everybody wins in that situation, and everybody's tank stays full, and nobody gets to run on empty and live on fumes. Some tremendous insights inside the pages of a new book by Dr. Tony Evans. It's called Kingdom Marriage, Connecting God's Purpose with Your Pleasure. Again, newly released by Focus on the Family Publishing. You'll find it at the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also order the book directly online by going to Pastor Evans' website, simply TonyEvans.org. That's TonyEvans.org. Well, Dr. Evans, as always, we certainly appreciate both the time and the wealth of insights and knowledge on God's Word that you share. Thanks so much for being with us today. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.